right, y'all. Welcome back to the Eat, Drink, Travel Y'all podcast. So excited for episode number 14 to have my dear friend Martin Strickland on the podcast today. Martin is the Associate Director of Public Life for the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. That's a mouthful. It's an important job. Thanks for being here. It's a mouthful. We could just refer to it as YBCA from here on out so that we don't have to take up all this time talking about the title of the work. That was my second take on that, you guys. Um, so, you know, before we jump into your story, just tell people a little bit about the you're going to, the, the YBCA. It's a, it's a museum in San Francisco, but you know, tell us about it. Yeah, um, Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, or YBCA. It's a multidisciplinary art center in downtown San, San Francisco. And we have um, multiple offerings in terms of uh, program and public. So we do a public art initiative, um, galleries. We have performing arts. We have civic uh, engagement. We have artist residencies. We have fellows. Um, and in the past year, we've really taken a step to... Uh, sort of remove us from the traditional uh, trajectory of museums where it is very much board and curator led to um, allowing artists in um, the communities that are in the Bay Area to come on as what we're calling the core tents. We're looking at what the core artists in our communities are, what they need, and allowing the core to drive what the institution does. So, um, we're definitely in an experimental phase right now, but um, you know, I think that we as an institution have been sort of heeding the calls um, of, of, of the arts, of various communities um, by saying that, you know, you know, the inst institutions themselves aren't necessarily meeting people where they need to be at. So um, we are moving away from a revenue-based um, sort of ticketing model to allowing artists to tell us what they want to do with the space. And right now we have a big empty space and we're going to figure out what we're going to do over the course of the next year. That's so cool though. So, I mean, so you're, instead of letting some, some board member, some person up at the top of this organization decide what kind of art is going to be displayed, you're, you're looking to the artists in your area themselves and trying to give them a platform and let them choose what kind of art comes out of this area. Yeah, that's right. There's, um, there's a, there's a larger study that is, um, called the seven vital conditions of healthy living and, uh, Yerba Buena has, uh, focused on four of those. So what are the vital conditions that make up a healthy community? We have then, uh, you know, gone into partnership with 10 artists from the Bay, Bay Area. These are architects, poets, playwrights, visual artists, um, you know, activists, PhD candidates, scientists, um, and they are going to work together over the next year to create various prototypes in the galleries. And these prototypes will manifest themselves in art, objects so the viewer will be able to sort of register them as an art object but the idea is that what they will do is that they will create prototypes which will be able to be taken out of the gallery after a year and put into community um, so cool. that they will create um, healthy um, and vital living conditions for um, for for various communities 
what they are, where they go, and what purpose they serve is yet to be seen. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so in we're a, in a total experimental phase. No, but that's cool. That's cool. And I mean, you know, I feel like we're in very like similar worlds. Your your art and hospitality collide and, you know, very, very tourism based. And yeah. I think that we're kind of I mean, it sounds like you guys are getting an opportunity right now to kind of reshape things after the pandemic. And I know that that's really happening, like in the restaurant industry as well, because our industries were so completely devastated that we kind of are getting this opportunity to rebuild them what we think they should be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that um, with both of the work that we, you know, do, everything was ground to a halt right in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. And there have been sort of fits and starts over the past 18 months about how people are going to, um, you know, live and work and experience um, both going and seeing art and culture and how people feel comfortable um, dining out mm -hmm. or, um, you know, dining uh, getting like takeout mm -hmm. or like how people are wanting to sort of interact with um, uh, restaurant and and restaurant and hospitality. So we're we have not reopened to the public. We are um, we had a what we were calling a dress rehearsal mm -hmm. last Thursday on June fifteenth, and then we will actually open up our doors for the first time to the public beginning Thursday, August fifth. Wow, that's well, very exciting. And I want to talk all about that. And I want to talk more about just the pandemic and how it's affected the, you know, the arts and hospitality uh, industries. Um, but let's back up just a minute and let's give let's give a little bit of your story. So um, as I said, Martin and I have been friends since I think middle school. We went to high school together. We are both from Montgomery, Alabama, just a couple of Alabama kids <laughs> that ended up on the on the West Coast. Um, but just walk us through how you got to the very prestigious position you're in right now. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's really fun that we're able to do this and we've been friends for so long. I think that we um, constantly catch ourselves um, thinking that we're actually a lot younger than we really are. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're not old by any means, but we're both going to be 36 this year. And so I think that that means that we've definitely been friends for at least 25 years, which is... <laughs> really wild yeah it's really really wild to think about and i think that um a lot of this year has been sort of reflecting on where we came from and what we're doing and mm -hmm. what we want to do next but like you said we went to high school together we graduated um and i went to the university of alabama where i uh did a dual major in advertising and art history um, I had wanted to major in art history all along, but no one thought that was a good idea. <laughs> so I took a more practical route and majored in, went through the College of Communication and Information Sciences and got a degree in advertising. I did a few internships, but never really felt like that was really my calling card. And I was able to, my last year of college, um, really rush through like four semesters of French, which I'm terrible at, what? you know, um, <laughs> to be able to meet the foreign language requirements to get the, uh, art, the art history degree. But um, I graduated in the middle of the recession in 2008, um, right at the end of George Bush's second term. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, th I think I graduated like a day or two after 
Um, Obama won the Democratic nomination, and there just wasn't jobs right there. I mean, there were I mean, there were certainly jobs, but there were not a lot of like entry level jobs. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and you and I have a mutual friend, Elsa Kern, um, that you actually introduced me to um, from your freshman year. Mm-hmm. I think that you, the two of you met um, your freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. She was from New Orleans and had, um, you know, taken us, both of us, I feel like, on different trips there mm-hmm. over the course of a few years. And, you know, she stayed in Tuscaloosa for a year or two, but wound up moving back to New Orleans after Katrina. And then I wound up visiting her a few times post Katrina. One that really stuck in my mind, I think, was the first Voodoo Fest. Mm-hmm. That, um, that was sort of like the reemergence of the music scene in, in, New, in New Orleans. And she was like, you know, I just really think that you could thrive here. I think that there's... Um, the kinds of people that you've been um, hoping to meet, but really never really manifested itself in in Tuscaloosa. I didn't necessarily know what, uh, what I was going to do. So um, I had another friend who was starting law school at that point. So I had gone down, I think while they did like an interview or maybe like orientation or something. Anyway, this is summer of two, two, 2008. I was applying to a bunch of jobs and wound up, um, wound up getting a job at a public health organization in, right. in, New, in, New, in New Orleans where I was doing um, HIV counseling and testing for the state. And that was a really interesting, challenging job um, for someone in their, in their early 20s, but it taught me a lot. I mean, that really didn't play a lot into my career as it is right now, but um, that job was the linchpin in when you were testing people for HIV and linking them into care. So whether you're linking that into uh, private physicians or or um, or through the Louisiana Office of Pu- uh, Public Health, that was sort of like that was the bridge between people knowing that they were HIV positive and then receiving care. Um, so I was only really like a public health administrator, not necessarily someone who, you know, worked with clients. I didn't have that education. Um, That job, I had a lot of really strange hours. I didn't work at traditional hours at all. So I was able to get an internship at the New Orleans Museum of Art um, and kind of do a more traditional like nine to three o'clock internship and then I would go to work because we'd go out to bars late at night and mm-hmm. do testings and also like what I was like 23 so I had like all yeah, the energy so much in the energy. world yeah, yeah. I was, I've like I've never worked that hard yeah. and I don't think I ever want and then I was also <laughs> like doing cater waitering on the side because like, it's like no job paid anything oh my god I don't I don't remember that you did that internship internship with the I don't, maybe I like didn't talk about it a whole lot. It was just like so much that was going on at that point. And then I realized, all right, I was getting to a point with the, with the job, with the no AIDS task force, which is the public health organization that was like, all right, if I was going to progress in any meaningful way, I was going to need to think seriously about getting a master's degree. And that would be a master's in public health or master's in social work. Um, I think that Tulane is one, uh, a really great school that does a dual program. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, this is not really where my passion lies. Like, I don't really know what I want to do with it. Um, so I had actually been sent to San Francisco in the fall of 2010 um, on a conference for uh, the No AIDS Task Force. Mm-hmm. And I was looking around at different graduate schools and, you know, I had thought, like, I really want to do something in museums. And I didn't know what that was. When I was interning at the New Orleans Museum of Art, I was in the communications department and um, was like, okay, you know, that's maybe kind of what I want to do, but maybe I want to curate. I just wanted to find a way to like produce artwork and work with artists. And I didn't know what that meant. I wound up working with the director of communications and also the curator of contemporary art. And I had had this art history background where I was like, really interested in like 17th century Dutch paintings. But I was like, okay, I'm also not going to be a scholar of that as well. So like what kinds of master's programs are out there? And there were a lot of things that were on the West Coast that were really appealing. One was at the University of Oregon through their School of Architecture and Allied Arts around arts administration. And then another was um, at this old arts institution called the San Francisco Art Institute, SFAI. for any listeners out there uh, who might want a reference point, Ansel Adams created the photography department wow. there. Annie Leibovitz is a graduate of the school. I think Courtney Love um, and also, um, well, now I can't remember her name, Catherine Bigelow, who is a pretty famous director. So there's some 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 really interesting people who have sort of come, yeah. come out of there. Anyway, I was there for work and skipped out on a conference and went and toured the school. And I was <laughs> like, this is really um, in- interesting. It's a bunch of, I mean, it's a true art school, mm-hmm. which is something that, you know, I didn't really know much about. And they were offering a degree in um, exhibition and museum studies. Okay. And so I wound up applying for that, got a few scholarships, and wound up moving out to San Francisco to start that program in the fall or late summer of 2011. So almost 10 years ago. And wow. uh, th- should I keep going? Yeah. I know that this is like an, I mean, am, no. I, am I talking too much? No, this is the point. I, I, it's, okay. uh, yeah, this is so interesting. So yeah. And so you, you so enroll. I, so I enroll, I get there. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I had not thought through what it meant to go to an art school, which is the San Francisco Art Institute is on a beautiful little old campus. If anybody is ever in San Francisco, I highly recommend going and visiting this. It's in the Russian Hill neighborhood. Has incredible views of the city and it has the largest Diego Rivera mural that is painted um, on campus there. So I was just thrown in with a lot of um, different kinds of people who were thinking about um, contemporary art in a really rigorous and thoughtful and intellectually demanding way. And, and, and it was not something that I had ever really considered. In my mind, it's funny, you know, you always, like hindsight's always twenty twenty. but I think in my mind, I thought the program was going to be more like a master's of 
public administration. Mm -hmm. um, so more sort of business focused. I right. thought that I would do it to like learn how to run the museum. And that's what like, I thought you were doing, but it sounds like it was, but you were with actual artists and more so. I was with a lot of artists. There was, um, there were three master's programs, the exhibition program, uh, uh, critical theory uh, or contemporary. It was essentially like an art history degree, but for like contemporary artists. Um, so a lot of the classes that I took were around um, around critical theory, around critical theory writings, around different um, modes of exhibiting um, work from a historical lens, but also how you do it in a contemporary sort of setting. And so I wound up... Um, I wound up while I was there um, thinking like, okay, I don't really know what it is that I'm going to do. And I don't really know how to do it. And I felt a pull to work um, while I was in there. I felt really unmoored by the whole process um, and not necessarily, um, not necessarily dedicated to a craft that I thought that, you know, I really came in with, which is what a lot of, um, students that come into SFAI have a very sort of uh, very rigorous thought and trajectory in how they want to explore their art, their artwork, and I really didn't. So I was like, let me counter, you know, sort of offset this while I wrote my thesis um, on work. And so I wound up getting a job at UC Berkeley mm -hmm. at the um, it's called the Arts Research Center. Berkeley is really a really interesting um, unit of the of the University of California's um, education systems, where they encourage all freshmen. I mean, the Arts Research Center does a lot, but sort of their main goal is to encourage freshmen to encounter the arts. So, if you are if you have declared a major say as engine like if you're an engineering major and you've declared that your freshman year the school system makes you work with the arts research center to take some sort of humanities class so so while you know you can be on a trajectory that is more sort of science uh focused that is more business focused um you will still be able to um sort of have a pathway into the humanities in some way. So I was a program assistant for them. And I was also interning at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. Oh, so you were interning at the museum at this time. I can't remember when. It all kind of all started again. I mean, I think I was in my like mid to late 20s at this point, And I still had a lot of energy to like, <laughs> um, I was like living in downtown San Francisco. I would like take the BART over early in the morning and get to work at like 730 at UC Berkeley. I would like come back in the afternoons in downtown San Francisco and go to uh, go to YBCA for a few hours and intern. And then I would go either to Russian Hill, or I would go down to the Graduate Center in the Dogpatch neighborhood and do classes. A lot of the classes in this program were late afternoon. So maybe the earliest one that would start for a lot of things that I took would not be until 430 because a lot of the um, a lot of the instructors were uh, were like professionals in museums in, in San Francisco. So they right. couldn't just like take off in the middle of right. the day. So um, I think that was like the second time that I worked 
super, super hard, insane hours that I never want to do again. I feel like I'm still tired. <laughs> later. Yeah, I'm tired listening to you do internships <laughs> and then you're going to, you know, start start your classes for the day, which I mean, that takes a lot of emotional energy right there. But I think that there was a part of me that was seeing at that point, I think a lot of our contemporaries, I mean, we both of us came out of really rigorous um, educational um, settings. I mean, the, the high school that we went to was like very focused on, you know, ensuring that if college was right for you, that that is something that you should pursue. Mm -hmm. um, I think that a lot of um, sort of our parents and our contemporaries, um, you know, were fairly successful um, people in terms of either entrepreneurial, you know, pursuits or doctors, lawyers. I mean, we certainly came from, you know, an admittedly, you know, upper middle class background. Absolutely. And so the idea of devoting myself to nonprofits and the arts, um, unmoored a lot of people and definitely kind of gave me sort of a second you know, thought. Um, but it was, but I sort of recognized that there was no clear path to sort of senior management in this, that it was just going to take a lot of work Yeah. and I was just going to be game for anything. And that's really, you know, what I started to do at, at YBCA and the timing was just really right for, uh, me whenever I graduated, uh, a woman that who I had interned under was leaving and she was like, you know how to do this job you should take it. And so the boss at the time was like, oh, you can do this for an interim thing, but you actually don't have enough experience to do this long-term. But, you know, I want, you know, so why don't you do this in a, on an interim basis for like six weeks? I think it wound, maybe wound up being like three months. And then anyway, I was hired on as like a production assistant for the exhibitions department. And slowly throughout the years, I've just sort of worked my way up. And what year was that, that you're was, taking your first, in, you know, the interim that turns into a different position? Is that this like, was like 2013. 2013. Okay, yeah, I just This moved. was like right around the time. It was like the same month that I started, the permanent position was the same month that you moved to, to Seattle. Seattle. Right, okay, no, so I... we were on the sort of same timeline, mm -hmm. both as sort of like figuring out what the hell we were about to do. <laughs> what are we going to do with our lives? Oh my gosh. God. Right, because it... at that time you had already completed your MBA. Mm -hmm. And I moved to Seattle and didn't know at all what I was going to do. Was just trying to get out of Alabama and start yeah. a life on the West coast. And I remember visiting you that first Thanksgiving that you were there, you and I spent Thanksgiving together and we were going out to a bunch of different bars and restaurants and, I think that maybe you had started to do work for Vons. for Vons, right? <laughs> yeah. And you had a contract yeah. you know, with them because you had kind of, you had been like sitting around at the bar um, talking to people, and like the terms that we use now to describe a lot of things that are sort of social media based really were not there. No, yeah. they weren't. Those were like that was like I mean that was sort of like the wild wild west of figuring out like what it means to have someone be a social media manager, which I think was probably the umbrella term at yeah. that point. You yeah. know, there I don't think that there was like there wasn't like really influencers. I yeah. think that like for instance like Instagram, you know, you and I were talking earlier this morning about where the 
where the focus for like something like Instagram is now. I think it was just photos, right? In yeah, 2013, like, there were photos. no other, there was no other anything that you do. You Mm-mm. couldn't upload video. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do, obviously couldn't do reels or stories yeah, or anything like or that. Or multiple photos. I mean, I remember Twitter at that time was still, when I moved to Seattle, very big, um, much oh, yeah. bigger than Instagram. Yelp was a really big deal at the time. I moved to Seattle. I was like, why is everyone so obsessed with Yelp? Oh, Yelp, yeah, you Yelp know? is like Yelp, the Yelp, golden Yelp. thing. And then I feel like Instagram kind of overtook everything as right. far as like, and I, I remember, I remember talking to you because I don't know what the position was at the museum, but when I, I think it was when I was working on like my first, yeah, my first client, which would have been Bonds 1000 Spirits downtown, you sent me like a, some kind of uh, basically a guide that the the director for the museum, the mm-hmm. media director had had created, and I got oh, to yeah. use it. It was super helpful to see how someone on a, a much higher level with a much more support and knowledge than I was was laying out, you know, these guidelines. And to me, that was like groundbreaking at the time. How to like collaborate on the social media pages, totally. and you know, very highly focused on Instagram. Which again, in 2013, like. I remember, I remember the first year I moved to Seattle. I remember coming home for Christmas that year and going to see my sister and like her friends, Mary Lackey and Allison. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, this is, I'm, they're younger than me, not a lot, but a little. I'm like, <laughs> I don't understand Instagram. Can somebody, can we somebody were, explain Instagram to me? We were taking, um, you know, photos of food and drink and dark bars. We weren't <laughs> geotagging <laughs> and we were putting like the Nashville filter over everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, you go back to anyone's Instagram. No, absolutely. And it's just sepia tone. Dark. Out the ass. Like, there's like, you know, there's no not, good light yeah. around anyone. No, it is. Oh, Instagram. And I think that, you know, at that point it was like thinking like, oh, you get like a hundred likes. It was like, that was it that was the that was the dream yeah a hundred likes there was like you know like you know i get like the same like 12 people that would like a photo and 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 it was a way to like kind of connect um i think that for both of us moving so far away from where we grew up from our families from our support systems i mean it truly acted as sort of like a visual diary for people to sort of like understand Dan a little in a little way like what we were doing totally um but then it it definitely quickly morphed I feel like from there to um being like a, oh this is like not just a sort of a sharing of what we're doing personally but this is um sort of like a lifestyle guide or like this is how you know it quickly became for me like I start to follow people and be like oh that is a place that I want to visit so totally. let me like let me figure out what they're doing and how I can get there but it's interesting you brought up the YBCA Instagram at that point which is something I don't think any business or institution would do now which I thought was really fun and revolutionary at that point the Instagram account was completely controlled by the staff so everyone on awesome. staff had the password to get in. And if you wanted to post something, say I was installing a, a work, you know, I'd take a photo of it. I would upload it to the works, to my works Instagram, and I would write my own caption and then I would sign it by my name. And it was mm-hmm. a way I remember to like, that. get I remember to know that. people. And I think that it, was really interesting and really worked um, for a while. But then as more focus became on 
the prestige of digital. The curated content that yeah. came, moved away because that really humanized your organization by right. connecting people with, with your staff on individual basis. But then, and, and you're totally right. And I feel almost like that's kind of why Twitter has kind of phased out more and Instagram has taken over because we are, we are now you know, expecting super curated, mm -hmm. very, you know, um, expensively produced content from certain creators, right. certain organizations. There's a tone and a voice of like every institution now, um, which, you know, has to be, you know, crossed through sort of like all branches of the brand. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's also, there's so much noise and clutter out there that you have to be, consistent and sort of what you're showing um, to help people understand what it is that you're doing, why you're doing it and how you are presenting yourself to the world. Really? It's definitely, it's definitely shifted. I mean, we were just talking about two this morning. I mean, last week, Instagram came out and said, we're not a photo sharing right. platform anymore. Yeah. Like we're, they, they want to, you know, get in on the TikTok business. They mm -hmm. want to like push those those reels. Like, you know, stories was kind of an attack on Snapchat and totally completely. And, and I love that because the reels, like, I feel like they are more um, non curated. They're more just like shooting mm -hmm. with your phone. Fun. You clip them together real fast. I mean, I definitely see people doing more professional right. versions of them, but maybe it is a, like a little bit of a return to like the casualness of it. We'll see. Um, I think that it'll be a return to the casualness in, 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 um, in sort of like, uh, in, in only forward facing only the back end. I feel like is going to be just as, you know, sort of like, um, picked apart and thoughtful as it is sort of now. I mean, that's, but I totally agree. I mean, we are we are having constant conversations with the artists that I'm working with and in, you know, with all of the staff, which is how do we make visible people's stories and people's faces? I mean, it is about portraiture it is about showing like pe like people actively doing something. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is like so big for what we want to do now, because I think that institutions are trying to, if you say you're for community, you have to represent that. And then that is actually how you do it is through social media. Now, whether or not that's a hollow gesture or not, I think is what your, you know, your, as in mine, yours, all of ours, like institutions, followers can tell, right. That's you know, the, that's the feedback that you can give. Yeah. And that's the challenge to do it in an authentic, meaningful, real, real mm -hmm. way. Um, God. Yeah. The talk, social media, all I totally just blown away by that YBCA, like social media guide, thinking about that. I use that as like a reference multiple times. It was so well thought out. Um, well, shout out to a guy named James M who's <laughs> no longer with the organization, but is an amazing person um, who definitely, cre definitely created that and um, who has sort of the calmness of someone who's very, uh, he knew he was confident in the job that he was doing. Mm -hmm. So he knew he could take risks, like giving the passwords to staff. And honestly, like at that point, I don't know. It was me and like four other people who would do yeah. it. It'd be a totally different story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And well, 
back on the YBCA, let's let's refocus a little bit onto like present day. So you've been there since like 2013. You've you've worked your way up from an intern to the associate director of public life. Mm-hmm. Tell me what an associate <laughs> director of public life does, because you're always doing cool, important things with the arts and the community. But just tell the well, audience a little bit about what you do. So public life is sort of a mixture of curating, programming, and um, sort of senior level management. So my day-to-day work, I really, you know, I run, I co-run a department, um, which is called the Program and Public Department. But I have a number of uh, people who report to me who are the people who help create exhibitions and experiences. So there is something called a chief preparator who is looking at um, different operations, facilities, and actual spaces and who designs like all of the exhibitions or experiences that we do, whether that's public art or artwork that's in that's internally. We have a number of project managers and preparators, curatorial project managers who are, um, you know, looking at how we are writing about the work, how we are getting um, flow of information, whether that's uh, uh, information that is specifically about artists or about group shows, to our development department, to our marketing department, to our strategy department. Um, And then I also, uh, you know, I co-manage like a department budget. I am in senior uh, leadership in terms of um, vision and strategizing um, for for the organization as a whole. And then I also oversee um, our public art strategy. So any any work that is public facing, um, which is either commissioned or borrowed, um, that is something that I am working to either steward a relationship or curating. And then I, um, just like everybody else's job, there's a million other little details, right, that I just kind of do on a daily basis, which, you know, in of itself don't make up a whole, but um, but kind of put together, I help um, sort of run the organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a number of really talented people who are much, you know, higher up than me. Um, all, of, all of our C-level team, you know, are really responsible for the funding, the mission, the vision, and the... Um, the implementation of the work, but I work to help, uh, you know, guide and manage a team that makes that all possible. I mean, you move out to San Francisco, you go to the, you know, you go to, go to art school and then you're working at this prestigious museum. I mean, and you know, those jobs aren't easy to get either. No, those jobs are really not. I mean, they're, it's, you know, it's that they, it's that they just don't come up. Yeah. There's you know. not that many YBCAs in, mm-hmm. in San Francisco. And and you said you guys are actually, I, I don't think I realized, I knew that you were working a lot more right now um, and you all were close to reopening, but you're actually, you're saying reopening in the beginning of August. Yes, we have been working to do what we were calling sort of soft opening or a dress right. rehearsal, which is really just about, and I feel like anyone out there who is, who is in charge of front of house, um, who is in charge of 
um, you know, operations and facilities will definitely, this will definitely ring true that we as a collective whole by not being in the org, by running everything virtually for a year, there was a lot of lost muscle memory and yeah. how to do it. Yeah, It absolutely. was like, where do we even start? <laughs> like, how did we do these huge events? Like, how did we make a staffing plan? How did we make a security plan? How did we like, you know, even down to a decision of like, are we going to offer coat check or not? How do we work? Um, yeah. Why, why, YBCA is sort of interesting in that we're a half union house mm -hmm. um, for our large theater and part of our um, event rental space. So it was sort of going back in and thinking like, all right, like how are we working with um, local 16, which is the IOTC union, um, which we work with in, in, in San Francisco to make sure that we were following our union guidelines. Um, and then how are we gonna like hire and staff up for these events, which, you know, you and I have talked about has been definitely a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think many industries are experiencing that right now, just a lack of, of labor, of, of professionals, and especially in like the hospitality and in, in, in the hospitality industries, excuse me, um, which, you know, for these events that you guys are doing, you're obviously a big part of the hospitality uh, community, finding, finding chefs, bartenders, people, so many people have transitioned out of the service industry. Yeah. And again, very similar to like arts organizations, just because, you know, artists didn't, so many performing artists didn't have, you know, a way to make income over the past mm -hmm. year and a half. And you guys have gone virtual. I mean, I'm sure you, you had to cut your staff down. Yeah. Last summer, um, last summer, the staff was reduced by like 35 or 40%. I mean, it was a huge, it was a huge amount of staff, which were front of house event um, sort of focused individuals, which is, you know, sort of the real heartbreak, um, you know, of it. And it was this horrible, necessary evil um, to make sure that the organization as itself, like, you know, sort of remained afloat. Yeah. And we're in a really good financial position right now. We were just, um, we were just awarded um, McKinsey, uh, Scott Jeff Bezos's like ex-wife, mm -hmm. um, you know, she is a, a real sort of trailblazer in the way that she thinks about philanthropy. I mean, mm -hmm. she's giving away billions and billions and billions of dollars in unrestricted gifts, which are huge for non nonprofits. And we were the recipient um, of one of the most recent rounds that she that she did um, who were uh, giving out to arts organizations who are focused on being community led and community driven. Very cool. Congratulations. That's awesome. But you know, we're definitely in the point now where we're going to have to staff back up. That's what I was going to say. So are we going to, you know, maybe it won't be the same employees, but hopefully bring some of them back and you're going to have to start rehiring because I mean, it's going to be busy, right? It's going to be busy and there's like no other way to do it. You just can't have a huge building and not have the proper amount of staff to um, be there to welcome people in. You know, a lot of people who have worked with us for years and years and years, um, you know, I know that a few of them have said like, you know what, the Bay Area is not really where I want to be right now in my life. I'm going to move either... Um, you know, 
uh, out of the uh, immediate vicinity or I'm going to move to a different state. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want to take up a different profession. Maybe I want to go back to school. Mm -hmm. And then there are a few, there are a few people who have been with us for a long time who, you know, are wanting to come back. Um, and we're sort of working that out right now if we're going to be able to do it. Well, it's, it's exciting that those talks are, are starting to happen, that you're able to, you know, start hiring people back. I remember when you went through that last summer and I remember how horrible it was on you having to lose basically half the people that you, that you worked with, mm -hmm. um, yeah. in such a traumatic time. Um, as we look to reopen, I mean, it's, it's, it's super, it's super exciting. And I mean, I'd love to, you know, explore where you think, I mean, I guess you guys aren't open to the public yet. You have had some great experience or success with, you know, kind of digitally reaching yeah. your, your audience in the past year, year and a half. Um, what are you guys anticipating as we, as we go forward into opening to the public? What are your biggest concerns? What do you think might, might shift? Like, what are you guys thinking about as you prepare to welcome people back in to, to the art center? I, I think that my biggest concern is the safety of our front of house staff. Um, I think that we are in such a contentious moment, which is, you know, pretty much the understatement of the year. <laughs> um, but it is around what the expectations are from federal, state, and local governments around um, health and safety measures, right. around what our expectations are for our public coming in, whether or not we require masks across the board, whether or not we use the honor system, um, and then how, as a as a welcoming organization that is coming back into downtown San Francisco, you know, our plan is on days that it's comfortable, meaning where it's not cold and foggy and <laughs> windy. The idea is to actually have the doors Doors's actually open. open. I mean, not unlocked, but actually open, open. Yeah. so that people can like know that the building is open and to invite them inside. And, um, you know, I want to make sure that our front of house and our frontline um, employees are taken care of in the way that they need to be where, you know, I, I, I definitely fear people getting into altercations. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's also with uh, like Los Angeles County has uh, reinstated a mask um, indoors. indoors. Yeah. I believe that that's probably where the Bay area will be going. Mm -hmm. I know that that is um, something that, you know, we're just going to have to monitor sort yeah. of at all points. And then how does that reflect in our customer service and right. the language that, you know, people use? I mean, I think, I think that most people are fine doing whatever it's each individual business is asking yeah, for. Totally. But you don't want confusing messaging or confusing visuals. So mm -hmm. like, how do you set up through like, uh, signage? Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are the expectations. If you're going to come into the space, this is what we want out of you. And this is what we expect from you while still being, like an opening by still welcoming. being hospitable to yeah. them. And this is like just so many overlaps between here and, and, and the restaurant industry right now, because like we're dealing, I mean, they're dealing with the exact same thing. Like, you know, we want, we're, we're here to serve you, yeah. to welcome you, to make your life easier. But we expect you now to, 
to be a little more self-conscious of the way that you're behaving in our space. And that has really, really in the past six months to a year, like there's been just a big shift. So many articles, food and wine, so many publications have put out, you know, what is how people are expected to behave now when they go out. You know, you should do this. You should do this. Like you should tip this much. You shouldn't be an asshole if you have to wait an hour Mm -hmm. for a table like if they don't have whatever like that's that's just part of it there are there are shortages there's shortage of of labor and so kind of putting a little bit of the responsibility back on the guest but in a hospitality focused business is almost contradictory yeah i think it's gonna be i think it's gonna be really interesting it might not be challenging at all i mean part of what i think you're asking is like um you know I have noticed in the past few weeks a much larger uptick in traffic in downtown. I mean, downtown San Francisco was a true ghost, ghost land town. for yeah. like a year. I mean, in much of the way that I know, you know, you and I talked a lot about the similarities between Seattle. Yeah. Um, you know, when you were living in Seattle, you were living right in the heart of downtown, and I work in the heart of downtown. Um, and, you know, to be honest, in pre-pandemic life, I might as well have been living there. You yeah, know I mean? like yeah. between commuting yeah, and taking yeah. traditional office hours, I was down there a lot. And that's, you know, we're sort of at the intersection of like touristy downtown and the financial district where a bunch of tech firms and things are. I mean, I'm two blocks away from the Salesforce Tower. Um, you can look out in one office and see the Facebook and Instagram building. Um, you know, so it's like, there, there is a huge amount of life that is still missing from downtown and how that begins to trickle back in. I mean, I am constantly like going out for lunch and being like, did this place make it through the pandemic? Like, yeah. I have no idea. No, yeah. Well, and I think like another similarity between San Francisco and Seattle, what I'm seeing um, from all my visits, there is like tourism is coming back very strong right now to the downtown, like Seattle area, as I'm sure it is in San Francisco too. But all these office buildings downtown, they're they're still not, people still aren't going back to work. So there are a large collection of, of, of restaurants, of service, you know, oriented businesses that they relied on that business. Yeah. Business lunch, coffee, business lunch, business martinis. Like, and now that's, you know, literally like you're saying, there are, there are these big buildings. I mean, did I read that Twitter is never going back to like in person? Like, is is that at one point I read that they did, but then they also opened back up their building. Okay. So like, you know, four employees that want to do it. So my partner works for Sonos, the speaker company, and they currently don't have an office office in downtown San Francisco. You know, their thinking is, you know, we probably don't want to pay commercial real estate prices in San Francisco. If there is not a critical mass of people who are going down there. It'll become a lot easier once public transportation picks back up, but they're still currently missing bus lines. The trains are not running as much. So there is a huge, far spread infrastructure that is not back up to where it needs to be to be able to support the amount of people who are coming back in. Um, That being said, um, we're definitely noticing and in close contact with a number of neighborhood alliances that we're part of through work. Um, you know, restaurants are definitely um, sort of like creeping back. It's hard to know when they're going to, they're open. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for instance, my work, um, we're going back to the office starting next week um, where they're asking 
for staff to be in one to two days a week. So I think that there will be a lot of uh, people who begin to go back in hybrid ways. Yep. And I think that, that we'll just have to see like, you know, perhaps, I mean, I'm just making a guess here, but perhaps it isn't the busiest Friday nights anymore downtown, but rather it's a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night because people are already downtown for right. work. Yeah. Because I think that, I think at least in my mind, I mean, this is total anecdotal. This, mm -hmm. is, this, <laughs> this is not based on any sort of data that the city or county of San Francisco has gathered. So I want to be very clear about that. Um, but that I think that a lot of people are looking at the hybrid model as something that's very appealing and to go in to work on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So you have a buffer of sort of a long weekend mm -hmm. or you are just able to work from home um, in a more relaxed way. I mean, I don't want to wake up on Monday morning and start going into work. Like I would rather <laughs> have a buffer of continuing to work from home on Mondays mm -hmm. and then going downtown on Tuesday, on Tuesday. So I think that lunches and dinners and things will definitely be sort of ramping back up, but there's a lot of also really amazing places that are opening in downtown yeah. um, restaurants that I'm really excited yeah, about it's, going to. It's cool that we're actually, we're at, yeah, we are seeing new things open. There've been some great new restaurants opening um, in Seattle, seeing things come back. has just been, has been super exciting. And it's, I, I think it's going to be a shift everywhere. I think yeah. it's just, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, but I think, you know, most people's lifestyle definitely changed. I mean, my yeah. sister is a, works for the state of Texas as oh, yeah. doing environmental management and, you know, hundreds of people in her office and they're going in now once or twice a week, they're mm -hmm. going to downsize their office space. It's just right. everyone's uh, lifestyle has, yeah. I mean, so many people's has changed. Um, and it's just, it's been, it's been super, it's been super interesting to see it from, you know, from the big city perspective and then, you know, from the little Walla Walla, <laughs> from the little Walla Walla perspective too. Um, but it'll be, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how things unfold in the next like few months as things do fully open up and people are just, people are just traveling like crazy. Um, on that note, I want to ask you a couple more questions. I want to end talking about YBCA, but before we do that, um, since you are in San Francisco and you are, you know, active, tell us a couple of your favorite restaurants around the museum that people could visit um, that we think, at least we think are open. Still. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I know that there are a number of sort of smaller places that are definitely back um, and open um, around, around down, around downtown. Um, one of my favorite places to go, which is more of a liquid diet, um, <laughs> it's more of a bar. Absolutely fine. Um, but it's across the street from the Palace Hotel called the House of Shields. And it's one of San Francisco's oldest bars. Um, it's this beautiful, like carved wood bar with beautiful um, light fixtures and a wonderful uh, like tiled floor. And that was like, I went to have a martini after work a few days ago and was like, Oh, now it feels normal again. I can yeah. like go back and like the bartenders were like, Oh my God, you're back. Your face. Oh my God. I can see you. Right. I mean, when we sat down at a bar for the first time, not long ago, it was like, this feels so good. Yeah. <laughs> it feels a bar so, to sit so at great. a bar to talk to a person. I'm looking at my phone only because I can't remember what the exact title is. Oh, here it is. I'm really, I, 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 this is the thing that I'm most excited about. So on August 24th, It'll be my 10 year anniversary in San Francisco. And I have 
reservations at this brand new place that just opened up like two weeks ago called Empress by Boone. Okay. It's in Chinatown and it is by, uh, it's spearheaded by Michelin shards, Michelin starred chef Ho Chi Boone. And it's in this amazing old building that used to have this um, beautiful old restaurant called, um, I think it was called Empress, Empress of China. And I remember going there um, right whenever I first moved there and they had great drinks in this Chinatown. Most of the businesses are on the first or second floor. And this is like up on like the fifth or sixth floor. So it has this amazing view out into San Francisco um, and Chinatown. And I, I'm like the most excited about going okay. back there. I'm excited. I want to check I mean, it out. I mean, Empress by Boone is not that far away from uh, Mr. Jews, um, which is, I think a lot of people will know um, in San Francisco. And also, I think that you and I went there a few years ago, but it's the um, China Live. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It was that sort of upscale banquet um, hall, or uh, I rather, um, it was like a bunch of different sort of like booths that were um, a bunch of different delicious food. So. Did that other, what was, is it Driftwood? Was that the name of a bar that you used? Driftwood, Driftwood has made it. Did it make it? Yeah, okay. It I remember totally... being, I, I remember having cocktails there many times when visiting oh, yes. you. I was scared to ask. So no, that definitely made it. Are they uh, downtown? They are downtown, but they're a little bit farther in the Soma neighborhood. So south of Market, they're on um, Folsom and 8th. And if anyone is down around there, I highly recommend <laughs> going to Driftwood. You'll have a great time and great cocktails. Um, there's also a restaurant that uh, uh, called Maraud that made it, um, which is delicious, um, which is right near the restaurant. And you and I went there. It's Moroccan Fine Dining. Did we we do went it there for my for birthday. Your, yeah, we went there my for your thirtieth birthday. birthday. Yeah. Oh my god, that I was. I remember a... that was like it's this beautiful restaurant um, in this uh, great building on New Montgomery. So if anyone is around, I haven't tried Empress by Boone, but hopefully by the time this comes out, I will have. Um, it's coming no, out tomorrow. <laughs> so I won't. So, but I, I I have every confidence in it based on your description. Go, definitely go to Murad too. Yeah. And I mean, get out and support restaurants, whatever you're comfortable, take out, eat outside, eat inside, you know, be vaccinated, do, do what you feel safe doing. But, you know, we gotta, we gotta support the, the hospitality. Like we have to support the arts, you know, right now. And on that note, let's, let's wind down, but tell us like, okay, so you're reopening to the public um, at the beginning of next month. Tell people like, you know, I'm sure you're having a big blowout bash. Like what are, you know, when can people like really start to plan to come and visit you? Uh, how can they get information about ticketing? Like give people the info they need to come to YBCA next month. So we're going to begin to reopen on Thursday, August 5th. We'll be open Tuesdays through Sundays, um, 11 to 6 p.m. and until 8 p.m. on Thursdays. Um, you can go to YBCA.org to figure out, um, uh, you know, what we're offering and what kind of ticketing you would like to do. We are free. Every, every off, okay. every, everything that we do is free, but we do do um, a ticket, um, you know, you can reserve a ticket. We like that's, you know, kind of how we track who is able to come. Yeah. And that's also a way for us to monitor um, our capacity limits. But on Saturday, August 7th, um, from 11 to 6 p.m. will be um, a huge uh, programmed out day um, led by our two senior fellows, um, a really amazing artist named Brett Cook 
and a really visionary uh, choreographer and educator named Liz Lerman. I would encourage everyone to check those two people out there, cool. visionaries in their field. Um, and they will lead us through um, like a day of uh, programs, community, art, tours, all sorts of things. And it's free. And it's free. It's, it's all free. free. It's all free. And we're next door to the Yerba Buena Gardens. So it's a beautiful um, park space in the middle of downtown San Francisco. We're accessible by um, all Muni bus lines, uh, train lines, and BART. There's plenty of parking that's around us. Um, and we know that there will be a big push beginning in August for all of the restaurants that are open. Um, we'll have all kinds of information around different um, bars and restaurants that you can go to to make the trip not just about coming to see us, but about um, going and supporting, um, you know, the vibrant city life of downtown San Francisco. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, is, you know, arts organizations reopens. People have a reason to visit downtown. That stimulates the economy. People go get some coffee. They go get dinner. Um, yeah, for sure. There's no reason to not go see some art without getting like a great cocktail or some coffee to go along with it. Absolutely not. Little, Dessert you after, you know, bite to eat. Yeah. something. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, well, OK, so y'all then that is Saturday, August 6th, the, the Saturday, big, August 7th, Saturday, August 7th. If you're in the San Francisco area. Um, if you're interested in the arts, I mean, this sounds like something amazing. I can't believe it's free. Um, Martin, thank you so much. This has been so cool to get to talk about not only just like the hospitality industry, but just the arts and their overlap in the pandemic and just as a whole. And this has been so interesting. Um, you guys make plans. If you're visiting San Francisco, YBCA again will be reopened on Saturday, August 7th. Go get yourself a drink somewhere next by and go uh, go see go see get some yourself art. a great drink at house of shields and then come on by and see us there you go there's a perfect saturday right there right <laughs> yeah totally awesome well martin thank you so much for being on the podcast this was so much fun um until next time life you guys. is funny this is great this was great thanks y'all <laughs> <laughs>